0: Welcome to the Inside Southwest Florida Football Podcast. Presented by the News Press and Naples Daily News. One, two,
1: three.
2: Welcome to the Inside Southwest Florida Football Podcast. I'm Dustin Levy, joined by Alex Martin, and filling in for Dan DeLuca today, we have Ed Reed, and we have playoffs to discuss, but a lot more, Alex... Uh, you might have to, to leave early today. Can you explain why?
3: Yeah, I might be on the road here in a little bit. We're recording this on a Tuesday morning. It is officially 10.58 a.m. as of this comment, but uh, uh, we got a big-time commitment here uh, in Southwest Florida. Four-star quarterback Carter Smith picking the Wolverines, going to Michigan. Huge news here for Michigan, obviously. They've been em- embroiled in a, in a science-healing scandal and whatnot but they get their quarterback for the future here the kid who can make plays both uh, through the air and with his legs Um, we've seen it for the last three years Uh, he's just I mean his nickname could be the record breaker it could be a lot of different things he's just a talented uh, quarterback and you know just getting some intel on it it was fitting um, that he requested Mr. Brightside in the locker room last week before the game. That is the killer's hit song. It is played uh, at the end of the third quarter in the big house. 100,000 people just screaming the lyrics to it. You know, just one of those songs that just kind of sticks with you, and it'll be sticking
2: with him for the next three, four, five years uh, up in Ann Arbor. Some exciting news, and it was an exciting first round of the playoffs. Ed took in a lot of uh, playoff action. I was wondering, Ed, what was more surprising? Bishop Rowe winning by another running clock, or Dunbar Fort Myers being close and controversial.
1: The funny part is almost neither of them because Vishnevarov always wins by running clock this year, and Dunbar Fort Myers is always close and controversial. So everything lived up to its billing, but uh, that Dunbar Fort Myers finish was a wild ride. That was a heck of a fourth quarter, but you know what? Uh, Dunbar held on, you know, by pretty much literally a toenail. But uh, Dunbar moves on to play Golden Gate, and Fort Myers is left to wondering how they can finally beat Dunbar, which seems to have their number the last few years.
2: Yeah, uh, last week I, I did my story on uh, Coach Sammy Brown becoming the winningest coach at Dunbar since the reopening, um, and something that I looked up for that was the fact that his teams were 7-1 and against Fort Myers. All seven wins were by one score, and now it's all eight wins by one score it's incredible Alex what are your thoughts on how that one played out
3: I just want to know when are we going to get a blowout in that game like Dan's lead was excellent and Dan is obviously not here he's he's celebrating I believe an anniversary
1: he's Um, out of the country uh (laughs) having fun right now I'm sure he's not thinking about us
3: (laughs) um but when are we going to get something other than a when are we going to get a normal football game between these two teams the last couple weeks, you were at one, and it's and it's obviously – it gets lost in the last two games. But there was a trash can on the field at the end of the game or a cooler or something with, like, the closing seconds and Fort Myers scored. I think they doused Sammy Brown and the cooler made it onto the field during the middle of a play. Um, I, I just – like, when are we going to have a normal game with the Tigers and the Greenies? It's just – it seems like it, we're never going to have
1: it. I will say at halftime, Fort Myers was up 17 to nothing. Uh, fourteen nothing, and I walked over to Dan and I said, "Wow, you know, maybe this is the one." And he's like, "Nope, Darnbry has them right where they want them," and he was right. He's like, "Please, <laughs> like, please, I've seen this enough. I've seen this movie before. This isn't over. It's not even close." And you know, history has shown that it's not. And he was right, and uh, uh, it was not over. And it was it wasn't over until all there were all zeros on that scoreboard.
2: Yeah, I think it's just baked into the mentality of Dunbar. I mean, the the young kids see it happen and so when they're, you know, starters on the team, they don't give up. <laughs> they fight until the end and it's it's really really impressive. Alex, I know you you had a a game that was just as exciting this week. Tell me how Mockley was able to triumph over Gulf Coast in the playoffs. To this point, call your
3: county game of the year uh without question. Gulf Coast down 21 in the first uh, half there. They looked like they were I mean Mockley was flirting with a running clock here it was a a really back and forth game Gulf Coast's defense I'll I'll give them credit for how many points they allow and how many yards that defense allows they're really good and and the front line just so talented they sacked train on Villarreal I think about six seven eight maybe even eight times Um, they were really getting after the quarterback Will Brockmeyer um, you know, one of the better D linemen in the county, really talented, passed the eye test very quickly for me. Second time seeing him this year. Chris Jimenez got to uh, train on Villarreal a couple times. But yeah, Gulf Coast had to well their way back into it. They were down 16 at the 10 minute mark in the fourth quarter. You need two touchdowns and a pair of two point conversions. They got within eight. And then, you know, with about, I think it was four minutes ago, they got the ball back and drove right down the field. Needed a two-point to tie and Jimenez just bowled his way in in the direct snap formation that they did, uh, I think, earlier in the year, kind of finishing the season how they started it um, with the you know cloud of dust and just a, p- a power up the middle. Um, they tied the game, and then Immokalee got one first down. Uh, Villarreal converted a third and eight with his legs, uh, and then uh, Gulf Coast forced a punt, and they had about a minute and nine seconds to win the game and you know for us at the game you know I I was lucky to have Ryan Murphy there with me we were thinking that this is the Alex Gelman redemption story he missed that 52 yarder you know against Immokalee the first time we're thinking this is like oh this is this is shaping up to be a storyline that he's going to have a chance to win it here with a field goal Um, but second play from scrimmage Jay Saylor throws a pick it's at the 50 yard line and you know, at that point, the game changed. It's like, okay, we're going to overtime again. And so Villarreal gets sacked loses seven yards. And then, of all things, James Delgado and company and, and Nick Citro, I got to give them credit. They pull out a trick play. I mean, a lot of cojones here from them to, to do this in that moment. A backup quarterback who had attempted three passes over the last two years thrown to a uh, an individual who hadn't caught a touchdown pass all season, uh, Chris Germinal finds Rodinelle Anthony on this trick play, 57 yards down the sideline, and Anthony scores with 2.2 seconds left to send Immokalee to a regional semifinal. Um, it, it was one heck of a game, and only fitting that an Anthony scored a game-winning touchdown. Obviously, Rodlin, one of the better Immokalee players uh, during his tenure and, and one of the better coaches, took that team to a Final Four in 2017, and it was just kind of a it really a lot of symmetrical uh, moments there a lot of fitting storylines but yeah James Delgado was pleased with the effort and um, you know they got to take on Venice this week and they're just embracing a good week of practice and um, they're hoping that they can go up there and
2: surprise even more people uh, than they did this week. Staying in Collier County I got a chance to see the top seeds Golden Gate have their way with Mariner. Starting with uh, Mariner when you're The eight seeds, you're on the road. um, you got to pull out everything. And I got to hand it to them. They really did. Um, On the opening kickoff, they did this little pooch kick that they were able to recover, but they were unable to cash in. And uh, when Golden Gate got the ball back on the first play, Sam Powell hit uh, Bradley Martino for an 80-yard touchdown. And uh, they got the ball back again. And on the very next play, 53-yard rushing touchdown by Trayvon Jean. And uh, that's just tough to recover from when a team's first two plays on offense go for touchdowns. But I was really impressed with the Titans um, just through the air, on the ground, especially Trayvon Jean. Just uh, my first chance to see him in a while. And uh, our photographer, Jonah Hindball, he he used the word slippery, and and that's the perfect word for, for what he does. It's just really fun to watch. But that team they're the top seeds and they looked like it, it didn't look like it was the first playoff win in program history for them but a great effort overall here is John Lee on right after the game talking about uh, what that win meant to them
1: since uh, freshman year we've been working on uh, on getting to this point and we've got it all year for this moment we knew the regular season was important but the focus was getting better and progressing for the playoffs and uh, we started
2: off good on, on the first round Uh, your first two plays on offense you guys scored touchdowns
1: how did that feel and we we all practice we're planning to play explosive and and it showed the first play we went deep to bradley and the next drive when we went on a long run again and it just shows the the hard work we put in in practice to do it
2: any other results
3: stand out to you guys Uh, not really i mean we expected naples to kind of do what it did to Parrish. I do have a question, though. You said this was the first time you saw Trayvon Jean, or when was the last time? Naples. So you saw him, okay, the Naples game. Obviously tougher, more physical game in the trenches than I imagine uh, last Friday was. Uh, I mean, professional running backs in the league or or past or present, I mean, is there someone who kind of comes to mind that you've seen him over the last couple games? I mean, for me... (laughs) I mean, he's got a little Marshawn Lynch to him, especially when he's running in the trenches. But yet again, you see him get outside, and like he's got a little bit of speed, too. And, and like, I see the Marshawn Lynch-esque of him in the trenches. I just can't think of the way to describe him when he gets out wide. I, I just I it, can't think of that runner. Maybe it's hard he...
2: because you think physical when you see him and when you see – Players try to tackle him at first contact, but he also can bounce around, and it's it's really impressive. He, he's got a, a really, really great skill set, and I think it's going to serve Golden Gate well deep into the postseason, especially, you know, fourth quarter. That, that kid's still going. Try Good luck tackling him. I got one
3: for you, and you're going to hate me because it's a division rival. Uh-oh. Najee Harris, mm-hmm. to a degree. Maybe Alabama Najee Harris before the foot injury. I mean, he's kind of got that speed aspect of him outside. Uh, but I've seen him. He's just so hard to tackle. And, and I asked coaches this because I, I, I watched games too. And I'm like, why can't, why can't any teams tackle him? Because he's, I mean, very slippery, very talented running back. And, and he's just a physical north-south runner. I mean, he tries to avoid running east-west and, but if he has to, he will. And he'll try to create a play, but maybe like a little bit of a hybrid between Najee Harris, Marshawn Lynch. you know, he, he I've seen him bowl over kids. Um, he's just He's got a little bit of everything to him. It's just it's fun to watch him and uh, just see what he's able to
2: do. Uh, speaking of running games, uh, the, the Port Charlotte running games seem to have a lot of success against Baron Collier this week, knocking them out of the playoffs. Just how dangerous do you guys think that team is going to be?
1: I think they're going to be a very dangerous. The funny part is I saw them at the beginning of the year, their first uh, game of the season against Bishop Vareau, which was the first of the many running clocks uh, for, for Vareau. Port Charlotte, their offense couldn't get going against the Vikings. They got it going on now, though. I mean, they got it, they, they have legit Division one running backs there. They have their style. They have their system. Um, they're rolling along. It'll be interesting. I mean, can Naples defense? You know what Port Charlotte's going to do. You know what Naples is going to do. Both teams are going to run. So this is going to come down to, again, which defense can stop the run. You're not going to see a lot of passing. Port Charlotte passes a little bit more than Naples, um, which doesn't take much. But – I mean, which defense is going to be able to slow down that ground game. you got great running backs on both sides. So the one good thing is, if you're watching that game, it should be, uh, the clock should keep moving. There won't be many clock stoppages because they're just going to pound and pound and pound and pound. So we'll, we'll discuss later who we think will win. But, uh, yeah, two teams that definitely have the same philosophies when it comes to how to move the football.
2: Yeah, I'll be grateful for that clock this Friday. Another team I wanted to mention, Estero, getting their first playoff win since 2001 beating Hardy on the road, 26-6. to six. Um, and, and, you know, we've discussed this. Their only losses this season are to First Baptist and Bishop Rowe, the, the top two ranked teams in our area. So uh, really impressive for them. It's going to be a tall task, a rematch against Rowe. But um, th- they've really done everything right. Yeah, Mistero's
3: coach, uh, Darren Nelson, said it perfectly. Uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago. might have been after the Mariner game. He's like, we're 22-5 and five in our last 27. And now... Now they're, to my knowledge, twenty. I think it'd be twenty-four and five now. I think, I mean, they they're winning ball games and and, and creating a winning culture in in today's portal. You know, kids portaling elsewhere and creating a winning culture despite all that. Um, I think is very important, and that's just it's a testament to the coaching staff for being able to prepare accordingly and to just put the kids in position to win. Um, you you look at Astero, a team that you know it was sub 500 not that long ago and then Darren Nelson gets hired i think that was Gary White's first big hire as athletic director and, and it's turning out and and Darren Nelson has found something at Estero and um you know they're going to they might have their hands full this friday but uh it shouldn't be overlooked their success this year it's just it's been very impressive to watch and you know who knows maybe Estero's going to surprise them i mean at this point you know the last two games against Vero they've been outscored 109 to 10 maybe a lot of trick plays here maybe just throw, uh, you got to think that Estero's is going to throw everything at Varro here uh in this game just because they're gonna have to I mean they're gonna have to find something whether it's going for it on fourth down or or, or what, whatever it is Dustin yeah
2: well said uh and after the break we are going to look forward to this week's playoff matches and
0: beyond Let's go. Keep up with the action every week by following our live Friday night scoreboard at NaplesNews.com, News-Press.com, and by downloading the Naples Daily News and News Press apps onto your mobile devices. Come on.
2: Welcome back. We have a lot of enticing playoff matchups this week. Starting in Class 3S, Golden Gate hosting Dunbar. That's going to be a fun one. What do you guys think is going to be key to that matchup?
3: I think Dunbar's got to get out wide um, with their playmakers. I think the trenches might be a little bit of an issue for them on offense. Um, Golden Gate's D-line is really really talented. I'm not sold on Dunbar's O-line being able to establish a ground game here. I think this is going to be up to Eric Fletcher and, and Twosky Abrams. And, Ed, I think you kind of saw in the game, I mean, they were giving Eric Fletcher Wildcat snaps, I think, in, in, the, in the backfield. And, you know, that's a new wrinkle, I think, that we haven't seen from them before, which um, and I think it kind of shows you that Dunbar is kind of preparing for what they're going to need to do, I think, in some of these big games.
1: Yeah, they rolled out the Wildcat in the last possession of the first half uh, and actually moved the ball quite well. A fumble deep into Fort Myers territory ended that drive. And, yeah, he came off the field and said, Coach, let me play quarterback second half. I can, I can do this. And I thought they did a nice mix in the second half of rotating uh, Austin Price in to be more traditional and and then the Wildcat. So, you know, that that is a new wrinkle. Uh, it worked against Fort Myers. Fort Myers' defensive line, honestly, was doing a great job on Dunbar. Dunbar couldn't open up many holes when it was just trying to come up the middle or traditionally running. So that's where the wildcat works. You know, then you can make a read, bounce, find a hole. It gave the the running backs a little bit more time to uh, to find something, which is what they needed. So yeah, the Dunbar offensive line is really gonna have to step it up this week against Golden Gate if they want to do that. Fort Myers had Austin Price under heavy pressure uh, when he was dropping back. He didn't have a, a lot of clean pockets, especially in the first half. And I'll be honest, it seemed like the Fort Myers side. Wore down, it was a hot, humid night. You know, maybe Dunbar was a little bit better conditioned at that point to play throughout. But, yeah, Golden Gate's defense, if they can hold the line against Dunbar then, and, and get pressure on Austin Price, that's definitely going to be a big, a big factor in this coming game.
2: Yeah, I'm also going to be looking at, like, the matchups in the secondary there. You, you think players like Eric Fletcher, Kelby Tyree, uh, and then Bradley Martino, Javon Prey. I mean, these are really impressive athletes, and watching them uh, go after each other, that, that's going to be a lot of fun. The other semifinal in 3S Region 4 is Naples-Port Charlotte. <laughs> As we mentioned before, uh, the ground game is going to take a spotlight in that one. Alex, what are your thoughts there? Um,
3: big offensive line versus physical gritty offensive line port charlotte is big up front i think ed saw them in week one against port charlotte a big group uh, on both sides and then you got naples not as big as a whole, but you do have sam kelly on that left side who would fit in, in just about any what i feel like any division one college i mean he's got the frame to be a division one lineman and then you've got you know some guys who maybe are a tad undersized but they're physical they're gritty they're kind of a scrappy group. And they're just trying to create holes for Sean Simeon in, in the run game. And, you know, it's going to be a fun battle up front. And it's two different styles. Obviously, you've got Port Charlotte that likes to run and gun and, you know, kind of take the pressure off quarterback Eli Manley. And, and you just give the ball to Rutgers commit Ed Gurrier. And uh, you give it to Ike Perry. I mean, they're, they're arguably the best one-two tandem in, you know, if we're calling it the three-county area of Charlotte County, Lee County, and Collier County, the best duo uh, in southwest Florida and then you've got you know kind of a committee style backfield outside of Sean Simeon uh, behind him it's kind of been Jamar Jerome it's been Martavian Young here and there uh, Jack Melton's obviously good for about three or four brushes a game um, I don't know if he'll get to that total come Friday I don't, I don't know what the game plan is going to be from Rick Martin and company but Um, More of a committee style and kind of keeping fresh bodies in there. But Jordan Ingman's been wanting this one. And, you know, obviously they lose 35-3 to last year. Um, One thing that really struck me uh, in the game story that I read after the Baron game, they were just lifting weights in circus tents, you know, in the offseason. Obviously they took a big beating from Ian. And I don't know if that's going to be a motivating factor of like, let's prove how far we've come since then. And, you know, the Hurricane kind of taking away their weight room and and them having to lift – outside. But I think that can definitely play a role and in, in just keep the
2: guys motivated uh, going into this one. In Class 4S, we'll have Mockley going on the road to face Venice. I think that would be a very sizable upset if the Indians are able to pull it off. Uh, and then in 1S and 2S, we have our top seeds, First Baptist and Bishop Rowe. Um, first Baptist is going to be going for the first title defense in... County history? uh, Area history, yeah. Yeah, and Varro would be going for the first state title in in Lee County history. I'm wondering what kind of would be the wrench for either of those teams in their chances to make history.
3: Well, here's the thing. and I imagine FBA has noticed this. Um, Right now, if things hold— um, they're getting a rematch with Ocala Trinity Catholic for in the state semifinals, and you look at the record, and you kind of might shrug your shoulders. Oh, they're three and seven. You know, they're they're not that great. You look at their schedule; it is top notch, and it's the best three and seven team probably in the state and arguably the country. Um, they had a really deep schedule. They went up to Saint X in Ohio, a very strong team, but they played teams. Uh, like Clearwater Central Catholic. They're going to get to the 1M title game and likely lose to Chaminade Madonna. Uh, they played against Carol Wood Day, a very talented team in Tampa. They played against uh, Jacksonville Reigns, lost by one. They played against Florida High, a team that I think is going to get to a Final Four. They lose that game by three. They lost a couple one-score games early. They lost three uh, on that stretch against Carol Wood Day, Reigns, and FSU. And you know, they lose 21 to 8 on the road in Ohio to St. X. And then the final game of the year, 42 to 22, a Buchholz team that's going to get to a title game, uh, in my eyes, um, at a minimum, final four. But this team has been battle tested, and there's something to be said about that throughout the year. Not to say FBA hasn't. FBA has had their games, too. They had Varro, they had Golden Gate, and they had uh, True North. All teams that have a legitimate shot at getting to a Final Four, and they played against a Wakaiva team that was better than their record indicated. So I think it's going to be a battle. Um, I think the argument could be made that this could be the 1S title game in the Final Four here. And, you know, Ocala, Trinity Catholic, obviously they're going to have the chip on their shoulder because they lost this game last year, a couple penalties. Um, The one that really struck me, you know, they hit crossing late on a third down deep in their own territory. It extended the drive, and I think it resulted in points. That was a drive killer for them. They had FBA stopped, I think it was only 7-3 to at the time, I mean, they would have had good field position. But too many mistakes in that game. I think, you know, OTC would try to get right here. But um, assuming they get it out of the region, which they should, um, I think that would be kind of the wrench for FBA is just trying to get past him again. Fortunately, it would be at home for them. I and mean, um, obviously Winston Watkins has given them a spark, 40-plus points in every game that he's been a part of this season. So um, I think that's kind of the wrench for FBA. Varro, I don't know. I mean, it's. I mean, obviously they don't play in a region like uh, 3S4 or 4S4. Um, so it might just be just getting the guys tuned up, and they're not really showing much right now. and, and So it's, that's the thing, I think, that might be able to hold them back. They might have to bring out a couple plays here and there, but they just haven't really shown much this season. Well, I mean, here's the, the thing with, the the,
1: with Varro. I mean, if things play out the way we expect, Varro will play – Uh, Bradford up in Stark in the final four. Bradford, yes, they haven't maybe had the schedule as everybody else has. They have only allowed, what, 46 points this season total in 11 games. And I know, all right, you look at that, you know, who have they played? Yeah, it's not the best of schedule. They are 11-0. and You know, you got to give them credit for that. And they're just not giving up points. I think the most points they've given up all year in the game is 13. Yeah. I mean, so, yes, some of it is who have they played, that's a lot of good defense, though. I mean, I don't care who you are. You, know, you look at their six, seven, seven, uh, multiple shutouts, a lot of running clock. You know, you can say run running clocked everybody, too. I mean, yes, they've played a tougher schedule. Um, so right there, you know, will the Vero offense finally face a defense that maybe can contain them? We'll see. I mean, Bradford's scoring 42 points a game, too. Um, and then, of course, the big one is... You know, sitting up there is Coco, which everybody wants to avoid until the very last possible moment, which, you know, you're looking at Coco Florida high in the state semifinal, which is what a matchup that will be. And that winner would be sitting there for Vareau. Again, Coco is their powerhouse. But you know what? You play him in the state championship game, you only got to beat him once. Maybe you lose to him nine times, you just got to beat him once, and you just got to see how Vareau gets prepared for that game. But, of course, they have to win a couple games first. They'll have to get through Bradford going on the road up to – up on 3-on-1 in Stark. So, you know, weird things happen out there in the backwoods. So, we'll just see what happens, especially when them City boys show up.
3: The, the one thing I do have to add, and Ed kind of mentioned it, this is contingent on Florida High winning Region 1. As a three-seed, I think it's very possible. I think Florida High is under-seeded. Um, they have to play Wakula this week, and obviously in the 1-4 matchup, uh, Walton and Pensacola Catholic get a rematch. That was a two-point game the first time around, and Pensacola Catholic just beat up on Suwannee 41-6. to uh, That was a team that Wakula had trouble with. They only won 24-21. Granted, it was 24 uh, 14 until about 10 seconds left when Sewanee scored a, a very late touchdown. So maybe a 10 point spread, but nonetheless, Pensacola Catholic had the better performance in that game. Um, but this would all be contingent on Florida High getting out of the region or Pensacola Catholic. Otherwise, if it is Wakula or if it is Walton, Varro would have to go to Coco in a 1 in 4 matchup, which, you know, you got to play them at some point. Maybe they want to play them there. Maybe they want to play them in tally, but. Just for full disclosure, I think that should have been mentioned.
2: A lot to look forward to. And after the break, we are going to do our final pick segment of the
0: season. So stay tuned. For more in-depth analysis of high school football in Lee and Collier County each week, go to NaplesNews.com and News-Press.com.
3: Let's just do it, okay?
0: Follow us on Instagram at NewsPressSports and NDN PrepZone. we go! <laughs>
3: All right. Welcome back to the final segment of the show. It is picks time. We will know today whether or not Dustin will be our champion. Uh, This is unfortunately the final episode of the podcast. Now, if Bishop Vero and FBA both get to state title games, we may do an emergency pod to talk about it. But nonetheless, Dustin comes into this one with a 104-22 record. Dan and I sitting at 126, we would need to net four games in a 10-game slate. And Ed, obviously, in a fill-in role at 17-3, and best win percentage among all of us. Uh, Ed, you're the winning percentage champion of this podcast so far.
1: Well, I just come on on weeks, I know I can pick good games, so there you go.
3: <laughs> of course. Uh, starting it off in 1S, we will trek up to uh you know, the better games as we go. There's a couple wild cards in here from out of area, but we'll start Moorhaven, CSN. Don't really know much about this one. I mean, Moorhaven surprised ECS last year, or are they going to surprise them again here, Dustin?
2: Yeah, I mean, they won a round in the playoffs last year. The interesting thing is they haven't played for like a month. Yeah. Um, and CSN, as you know, they've won a lot of games this year, and I think that muscle memory is going to kick in, so I'm going for the Seahawks.
3: I think so too. I think having a long layover like Moorhaven did, you know, very, very easy for them to come out flat. ECS obviously, you know, reflecting on last year, beat Moorhaven the first time, lost to them in the playoffs. CSN did not play Moorhaven in the regular season. Um, I don't think that's going to matter. I'm also going to go with the Seahawks. I I just think that they're in too good of a position to lose this one, and I think uh, they're going to head to a regional
1: final. Ed? ECS beat Moorhaven 37 to nothing. So CSN beat ECS. So transitive property, which I know Alex loves. Yep. CSN will beat Moorhaven.
3: I like it. And that was a game that was uh what twenty to twenty six to six, I think, at one point. CSN ECS, but nonetheless I digress. Uh the second game on the slate, arguably the better and more competitive regional semifinal, ECS headed to FBA. Battle of private schools here, battle of you know, two powers, arguably. I mean, ECS kind of turned the corner this year. schedule tougher. You know, they did go 6-4, and four, but they got tested, something that they didn't get last year. FBA just on a roll, 7-2. and two. ECS might be able to uh, exploit a matchup in the slot. They got four capable receivers, but I don't think they can do it for four quarters. I think FBA will, will complete off a performance. And, and the thing that can be said about good teams, if it's trailing or close at half, Good teams know how to make adjustments. I think FBA does that.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, uh, ECS does have some playmakers. Don't be surprised if Jack Schuker returns a a kick or a punt for a touchdown and and gets some points that way. Turner Helting uh, makes a nice connection for a touchdown along the way. Um, But First Baptist, they just have too many weapons, too many ways to score. I don't expect a low-scoring game out of this one, but I just think FBA has too much firepower for ECS to keep up with.
2: Yeah, I think this matchup was uh, canceled last season to the hurricane, but it's going to be fun to finally see it happen. I think, you know, ECS should be able to score some points here, but I don't think they'll be able to score at the clip of a First Baptist, so I'm picking the lines. Agreed 100%. Ed, you and I were at media day. Billy mentioned
3: ECS by name and saying that they would not schedule us. Um, so maybe there's going to be a little bit of a motivating factor there. There's something to be said about teams that you don't say that publicly um, if you're not happy about it but also Dan on CSN and FBA to meet in the regional finals. Uh, So uh, next game on the slate, going out of area, going to Orlando, Jones at Edgewater, prime rivalry. Your thoughts on this game, Dustin? I mean, this is kind of
2: two Orlando powers here. Thoughts? Um, My thoughts are I think Edgewater is going to win. Ed?
1: (laughs) I will always favor Orlando Jones because I think he's an excellent comedian. (laughs)
3: Yeah, Uh, Dan on Edgewater. I'm going to go with Edgewater here. Um, It'll be close. I think they're going to get back to a regional final. Now it's moving down south. This is the other matchup in 4S4. We'll probably be able to talk a little more on it. Riverview headed to Manatee, the 3 2 matchup in 4S4. The winner of this game will take on Immaculi or Venice. It was close last time. It seems like this game is a pure toss up and. Despite winning this one, Riverview's the three seed, um, and they're going to have to go to Manatee to win this one. Ed, I started with you. You're kind of involved in Sarasota now. Your thoughts here on, on a, what seems to be probably a one-score game either way.
1: Well, this is a rematch. Uh, they played a month ago. Riverview won that game 21-14. Review actually was up 21 nothing in that game, and uh, Manatee came back, and uh, the final drive, you know, cut it to uh, a touchdown with 42 seconds left, and they actually got the ball back in the last 10 seconds and and uh, actually got down to the two-yard line as the clock hit zero. So that's how close that game was to going to overtime. So I expect very much the same. I think my pick is going to be Manatee. I'll even throw in a 28-24 score. I think it'll be that close. It'll be um, a one-score game. Manatee leads the series all-time 10-7. to And they're coming off of a a pretty big win over Charlotte, which obviously had their trouble this year. But uh, I think Manatee is ready for some revenge and to move on to a regional final.
2: Dustin, how motivated should Manatee be in this situation? They should be pretty motivated. I mean, they, you know, by all accounts, should have won that game, um, you know, by ranking and and otherwise. So I, I like the Hurricanes' chances to get revenge.
3: Of course, uh, I mean that leaves me with making the pick. Obviously, Dan is on Manatee as well. I'm going to take a flyer here. I'm going to go with Riverview to win again um, and to get a rematch with uh, Venice in the regional final. I think Riverview has the pieces to do it. Um, obviously, Manatee came up just short last time, but there's something to be said about leading 21 nothing early on in that game. I'm going to go with Riverview. Um, next game on the slate, the other game in 4S4, Immokalee headed to Venice. Got to give James Delgado credit. This program has been turned around, two years removed from being an independent for reasons out of his control. Um, players were, were getting poached to other nearby schools, but he seems to have kept that talent back in Immokalee now. He did tell me it's kind of still a struggle to this day, but you know, Immokalee turns it around, Dustin. But is it enough against a very stout Venice team that has playoff experience?
2: Yeah, I don't think so. Um but like you said, credit to Amokley. This has been you know, it was a huge step forward last year and an even bigger one this year. But uh I think they're just giving up a lot of points lately to Laley, um, Gulf Coast, who's not exactly known for their offense. They you know gave up a lot of points in a short span to them. Venice is gonna be too much trouble there.
1: You know, Venice lost their two game first two games of the season to Armwood and Coco. So other than that, they uh they've been rolling I don't think they've had a in their nine wins. They've all been by double digits, so they haven't really been tested. Uh, they have an excellent quarterback and and Jaden Glazier, throwing for two thousand yards, twenty one touchdowns. Great receiver in C J Lewis. You know he has six hundred seventy four yards and six touches this year. Their defense, you know, they have thirty five sacks this year and thirteen interceptions. So they are well rounded. Uh, they are thinking state title. Amokley again. I I think. We can all agree that Delgado is an excellent hire, Um, you know, moving over from Riverdale to Mockley. The uh, community has definitely embraced him as he has embraced the community. And so hats off to the Indians, but I don't think, uh, in a battle of Indians, I think it'll be the Venice Indians who chopped down the Redwood this week.
3: Game number six, Booker headed to Lemon Bay, rematch of this uh, tilt, I think they played not that long ago. Lemon Bay one twenty-two to eighteen. Booker, obviously, the more athletic team, the more uh, speedy team out wide. Lemon Bay, more physical. Dustin, going to start it with you here. Another one of those rematches. Can can the team that lost the last time get on the right
2: side of things this time? I think I'm uh, all about the revenge this week. Um, so I'm going to take Booker. Booker, Ed.
1: I will join Dustin with this one and go with Booker. Lemon Bay's had. Uh, one of their best seasons in, in in quite a while, but I have found this is Booker's time. Of
3: course. Uh, Dan and I going opposite. We're going to go Lemon Bay. We're thinking that Lemon Bay can break through and get to a regional final. Don Southwell is a very, very good coach. I'm going to go with... Uh, the mana race, as will Dan. Game number seven on the slate, going up into two, uh, 2S Region 1, Florida high at Wakula. And this game might be close. Um, FSU does not have has not had Makai Danzi, their star running back, who's committed to FSU for uh, quite a while. He's had a left thigh injury that he's been nursing. On the other hand, Wakula gets three transfers from North Florida Christian, one being FAU commit Leon Washington Jr., the son of Leon Washington um, so this game has a chance to be close. Wakula, um, air raid offense. Hayden Cleese has thrown for 49 touchdowns this year. Florida High, arguably the better coaching staff. Ed, going to start it with you here. Seminoles or War Eagles?
1: I will go with the Seminoles. I just think they have um, you know, a history on their side. They're a solid program, and I'd like to see them make it to the Final Four. So i got to keep that room interesting.
2: Dustin, I'm going to take Florida High. Their schedule has been a little bit tougher this year, and you know we've seen what they've done in the past.
3: Yeah, Dan, on Florida High as well, there's something to be said about getting to the big game, and Florida High did that last year. They got to the title game with Coco, lost in OT. Brooks Heckman does a good job coaching up there. I think that they got a real shot at breaking through as a three seed to get back to a Final Four. And, you know, I think they've got a shot. If they clear that hurdle, um, whether it's Walton or Pensacola Catholic, it might be a much easier lift. But obviously, one game at a time, I'm going to go Knowles as well. Uh, game number eight on the slate, uh, another rematch. Astero at Bishop Vero. Dustin, I'm starting it with you. You're the revenge guy, so uh, make the case for Astero against Bishop. I
2: think uh, they're going to come up short. I mean, the case I will make is that having played two weeks ago, you know, maybe Vero overlooks them a little bit, and you know, maybe early Astero has a chance to jump on them. But I just think good luck because Vero is Vero, and the the way they played this season, um, if you're you're lucky, if you're not getting running clocked.
3: Yeah, it's going to be a heavy lift, as it always is when anyone locals playing Varro. You know, Estero, they've had a great season. I just don't know. It's one of those things. I don't know if they can compete for four quarters against this group of guys. Um, The sample size is there. 109 to 10 just sticks out for me over the last two years. No reason to pick against Varro, Ed.
1: I got the uh, joy of covering that game uh, a couple weeks ago. So I saw firsthand Estero actually... Had a couple of chances they went for it on fourth down a couple of times, knowing they needed to keep the way the ball away from Carter Smith and company and they just couldn't convert on fourth. They had a couple of pass plays that just missed that you know if they complete those they could have stayed in the game a little bit longer you know maybe this time they're able to convert some of those plays and and stay in but mm-hmm. Verro just has too much it, it, it's just too much for uh for Estero and what they have uh, on the line Verro dominated um the running game, you get Deshaun Jenkins revving up. You know, again, love the Wildcats. Had a great season, but I don't see too many more roadblocks on Vero's track to the Final Four.
3: Of course. Um, you know, Vero getting to a Final Four seems uh, very conceivable. Next game on the slate, Port Charlotte at Naples. Going to the 3S contests. Um, this is going to be a pretty big contest here, both ones. Port Charlotte lost 35-3 to to Naples last time. Obviously, that Naples team is loaded, but – Pirates looking for revenge. Dustin, starting with you here. Uh, just a big game that shouldn't be a 2 6.
2: Yeah, this is, is really a really tricky call. I think I'm going to edge toward the Pirates um, just because of that defensive line, that front seven, Myron Charles. You know, I, I just think, you know, if they're able to shut down the Naples running game, then, you know, they're going to have a, a decent chance to, to come out on top.
1: You know, before the season started, everybody anticipated Port Charlotte being probably the number one seed in this region. They're playing like it now. You know, all right, they got off to a slow start. Again, it's not like their losses were to slouches at all. You know, I, I Naples has a history. But, you know, Port Charlotte's been thinking about this game for a year. They had to have. I mean, there's no way that you lose like that last year to Naples and that wasn't over the summer while they're lifting in, in tents and, and getting ready for the season that Naples hasn't been on their minds. So we talk about revenge games. I think Port Charlotte has probably been revved up for a year on this one. Um, I think they're going to give Naples everything they can, and I know it's tough to go into Naples and win. I'm going to give the edge to the Pirates on this one just for the way they've been rolling and for that little extra motivation of proving that last year was a fluke
3: yeah and just the whole storyline it's very easy to root for port charlotte right you know because of where they were last year and how kind of things started for them they didn't have the weight room they were doing it under circus tents. um you know port charlotte has been looking at this game for a year and they you know obviously jordan england goes into the year probably thinking i don't know if i'm going to face them but if we do we got to be ready and we got to be motivated. There's something to be said about wanting it more than the other team. I think Port Charlotte, regardless of how much Naples wants it, I think Port Charlotte is going to want it more. And, you know, Naples has quietly, very quietly put together some really strong performances here over the last four weeks since losing to American Heritage. Um, they've done really str- uh, good things on those fronts, defensively and offensively. You know, Sean Simeon has been a big focal point in that. But, I mean, one score game either way, I, I just – there's something to be said about hanging 68 on Barron when Naples could only put up 24, plain and simple. There's something to be said about that. I think Port Charlotte will be able to win this one. They're just going to have to maximize their opportunities on offense because we know how Naples operates. Barron Collier threw the ball 61 times last week. Nico Boyce, that's a new career high in pass attempts for him. You know, so the clock was stopping a lot, gave Port Charlotte a chance to score. Naples is going to have to control clock in this one. and I mean, I don't know if they want to get into a shootout here. I'm going to go with Port Charlotte in a squeaker here. And Dan DeLuca also on Port Charlotte. Not many times you pick against uh, the Golden Eagles at home. Uh, but you know, it just feels like Port Charlotte's year. Uh, the final game, it'd be our game of the week if we did these in the playoffs. Dunbar at Golden Gate. Tigers just keep finding a way. They found a way last week. No reason to think that they can't find a way this week. It's just a matter of if they will. Um, Ed, going to start it with you here. Cross-county battle. Uh, who you got? I mean, this this game feels like it could be closer. It could be a blowout.
1: I'm actually excited for this one. I was excited last week to go see uh, Fort Myers Dunbar. I'm excited this week to see Golden Gate Dunbar. Yeah, Dunbar finds a way. And and the one thing that Sammy Brown said was they trained this year. He said he really worked on cardio. He worked on conditioning so that his team in the fourth quarter, when it was on the line, would be the team that would come through that still had the gas in the tank. And that was really their focus. And you could see it the last couple weeks against Lehigh. They had just enough at the end against Fort Myers. Some of the Fort Myers kids, I was on both sidelines last week. There was some huffing and puffing. You could see the kids getting tired, some cramps setting in. It was hot. It was humid. It was a tight game. The Dunbar side looked fresher. And I think you saw that because, you know— Despite the toe on the line, you know Dunbar made the plays, came back, wore down Fort Myers. Now, Golden Gate, I think, is a bit different animal. I think Golden Gate is more talented than Fort Myers is on pretty much both sides of the ball. Um, they have more depth, more playmakers. So if Dunbar <laughs> does the usual theme of trying to keep it close or having to come back late in the third, fourth quarter, I don't see Golden Gate being the kind of team that's going to let that happen. Um, I think Golden Gate's motivated. They're having their best season in in program history. They won their first district title. They've won playoff games, um, the top team in the region. So they're riding that wave. I think Golden Gate has another week of setting new highs, of making a regional final. So I'm going to go with Golden Gate. But uh, Dunbar is definitely going to be a, a dangerous opponent. I don't see – and it might be where Dunbar – maybe Golden Gate takes a two or three touchdown lead, and that's right where Dunbar wants them. So I would never count these Tigers out. So, yeah, I'm excited for Friday night, but I'm going to stay with the, uh, the Titans at home.
2: Yeah. Uh, Dustin, well, we all remembered what happened last time Dunbar went down to Naples in the playoffs. <laughs> so, you know, they're they're not to be slept on. My concern with the Tigers is their slow starts of late. Um, we saw it against Fort Myers the week before against Lehigh, and Golden Gate is not a team you can start slow against. Um, if they, if Golden Gate is able to jump out to a big lead, I, I don't think the Titans, you know, they're a strong team. They're, they're not going to be as tired in the second half, the fourth quarter, as maybe some of the other opponents that Dunbar has gone up against. So this is tough. I mean, Dunbar, as we've seen, they, they fight till the end, um, but I'm going to give the edge to Golden Gate.
3: Dan, also on Golden Gate, there is a tweet that has been put out by one Twaski Abrams that I figured that I should read on the pod. Um, it is verbatim. It says as follows, watch us shock the world. It's very hard to pick against Golden Gate, right? They are the more complete team up front. We've seen Dunbar's offensive line get worked in quite a few games this year, Bishop Rowe being one, and I mean arguably Fort Myers uh, being another. I mean, Austin Price does not have much time back there. Um, the Dumbars' line has gotten worked. This this means. You know, Eric Fletcher and, and Twaski Abrams and Chris Singleton are going to have to get to the edge and really outrun a Golden Gate defense that I don't know if they're going to be able to do. Golden Gate can defend over the top. The linebacking core is very quick, they take good routes. Um, you know, I, I love the energy from Twaski, and I can very well see Dunbar winning this game, but Golden Gate to me just has the they're in better position to start this game. Not to say Dunbar can't finish, because we've seen Dunbar finish plenty of games this year where they just find a way. I mean, this might be very similar to Fort Myers, where it's a blowout in the first half, and Dunbar just finds a way. But um, I I just think Golden Gate is too well coached and too locked in to do that. Uh, So I'm going to go with the Titans as well. And with that, Dustin Levy has secured a championship. There is no games, not enough games that we picked against where there would be any sort of a tie. Dustin, congratulations. Uh, You did it. How'd you do it?
1: Well Could uh, I, one I, congratulations, could I be wrong, but wasn't Dustin trailing early in the season? Wasn't thir- he in last place? Thir- third place. So he's Dunbar. He's the Dunbar of the podcast. <laughs> he weighed you guys out, was better conditioned, and pulled it off at the end.
2: Uh, I'm wearing a, a green and orange shirt right now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just my uh, four-dimensional chest coming through. Yeah, uh, only a handful of games. I think it was
3: only two games where we differed. I mean, not enough to net. Uh, with this especially being the final game of the pod, maybe, I don't don't know, maybe if Golden Gate gets to a state title game, maybe we can pick three games, and that would be a different story. But uh, for now, Dustin with 104 wins going into this week, uh, a real chance of getting to 110. You know, we we just pick games so well over here at the News Press. It's just unreal. But be sure to go to news-press.com slash sports and naplesnews.com slash sports for high school football content all across Southwest Florida. I teased a Vero de- defense feature last week. I uh, just got caught up in a few things. It's coming this week. Their turnaround on the defensive side of the ball, from, from going to a laughing stock to being elite on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so that'll be fun to, uh, fun to write. Um, obviously, Carter Smith committing. Uh, that's probably the news of the news of the week so far. Um, Winston Watkins decommitted from Colorado after the loss uh, to Arizona. Uh, but, you know, pretty busy week here. We've got it all for you. Be sure to follow Dustin Levy on X at Dustin B. Levy. Be sure to follow Ed Reed at ed Reed underscore NP. And be sure to follow me on X at NP underscore Alex Martin. For those guys, for our wonderful producer Amanda Inscore, I'm Alex Martin signing off of Season 6, Episode 14 of the Inside Southwest Florida Football Podcast. It's been a fun ride. Uh, hope to talk to you guys in a few weeks. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening. Remember, the Inside Southwest Florida football podcast will be available for download every Wednesday at noon to get you ready for
1: upcoming games. One, two, three.